HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Learn more and try a free sample at wildakpollock.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. The topic? Restaurants and rules. Some rules are based on religion. This makes for an unusual scene in a Manhattan restaurant, a shy 20-year-old dictating the kitchen standards to a humble veteran chef. While other rules promote health and safety. But who are these feared rule keepers with the power to shut a restaurant down? They're not really like food, food lovers. Some restaurant rules fall outside the domain of the kitchen. All civil rights issues have basically, uh, at one point or another, revolved around the bathroom. For more, tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, I like the way you do. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Um, so does it seem like every cookbook and food blog is talking about families? I mean, especially like around the holidays, it seems like our quest in the kitchen is always about like cooking for crowds and you know nourishing our loved ones, expressing our love and community through our kitchen creativity. Um, so I don't know, as a person who has cooked for myself for most of my adult life, so I don't know how many years that is, um, a while, you know, on a regular basis, that is, not when, like, having friends over. I, I mean, I can say that there's nothing wrong at all with talking about, you know, the graciousness of cooking for families, but it can get a little annoying. Um, you know, what about showing yourself a little love? So, well, I, I think it's long overdue that there should be a cookbook that really hones in on this topic of solo dining and solo cooking. Um, I don't think I could have hoped for a more wonderful, important culinary icon to write it. So I'm really pleased to be talking with a legendary chef in New York City of Anissa, but also just beyond New York City, um, uh, an iconic chef and restaurateur of our times. And uh, she is known for, well, being a trailblazing chef in terms of her technique, uh, her culinary philosophy and um, blending a refined technique that she has been trained in with uh, Chinese ingredients of her heritage, also for being a woman. So without further ado, thank you for joining us, Anita Lowe. 
Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, okay, so we know that um, Anissa, your restaurant in New York City's Greenwich Village of 17 years, it closed about a year ago. Yep. Um, it's kind of, is it sort of apt that about a year later you came out with a book all about like meditating on cooking for one? I mean, are you just like done with restaurants or? <laughs> no, I'm not done with restaurants <laughs> okay. by any means. I, I, I'm done with owning a restaurant for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I actually wrote that book while Anissa was still running. Okay. So. Um, I guess it takes a while to cook, make a book. <laughs> it takes a long time yeah. to make a book. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it does seem, you know, so this is a subject that is close to you then. You've, you've just, how long did it take you to write? It actually didn't take that long. I mean, it. You know, um, yeah, it didn't take that long. It was, it the recipes are so easy mm-hmm. that um, you know it was kind of, you know, it was it was quick just to churn them out, and then the head notes, you know, they're 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 short, so it's it wasn't it wasn't that hard. I mean, once once I got the um, proposal done, um, you know, it, it it sort of wrote itself. So right, okay. Yeah. So you're working on it while you were still working. Uh, in the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I was off the line at that point because mm-hmm. you know I had this I had this knee issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I had plenty of time, and uh, yeah, it was great. They let me do all of my own recipe testing, which I thought was awesome because I could, you know, calibrate the recipes to taste the way I wanted them to taste. And uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, so that's that's pretty. That's you make it sound easy, but that's a pretty big feat to juggle um, both things at the same time. But anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about your first cookbook, um, Cooking Without Borders, and that was more of like based on your your restaurant. Sure. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's also subtitled. Wait, no. Cooking Without Borders itself implies that it's all about the multicultural approach in the American kitchen. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, before we talk more about like the solo cooking, um, why, like, why, what's your take on blending, I guess, influences from multiple cuisines in the American kitchen? I mean, I think that's American. I, I think, um, you know, we're a co- country of immigrants of, mm-hmm. of various backgrounds, and it's only natural. I, I think uh, fusion is, all food, food is fusion. I mean, right. everything has been um, influenced by something else. Mm-hmm. And it continues to evolve, uh, much like language. And, um, yeah, I mean, um, there was an article in the Times uh, recently about, you know, identity and border, <laughs> borders and stuff like that. But, the, you know, even, even like, physical borders weren't always in the same place. So, it, mm-hmm. it you know, I, I mean, I don't know how you can say it. Yeah. Things are put into, I mean, everyone wants to put everything into a box to understand it. And... Um, that's not quite reality. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you've been cooking in this way for much longer than we've... We, I think that we seem to be having um, a lot of conversations these days about the idea of blending influences and uh, cultural appropriation, if you will. And mm-hmm. it's come up a lot lately. Um, but people like yourself and chefs, uh, you know, have been doing this for, for quite some time. It's like nothing new. Do you, do you find anything troubling about the idea of just anyone mixing and mashing and um, or taking on anyone else's cuisine that is not theirs and selling it to the public? Well, I think that it's 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 not so much the fact that someone should be interested in somebody else's cuisine and and, mm-hmm. and doing that. The, the problem with cultural appropriation 
is that certain people get to benefit from it. Mm. Um, so if, if it's someone who has more agency than another group who is taking, say, Chinese cuisine and making a mint out of it, whereas, you know, the actual... Wait, a mint out of it? Sorry. Making okay. a lot of money. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Got um, it. I was like, a mint? Wait. <laughs> yeah, like a, a, yeah a, a money mint or whatever yes. you want to call it. Um, mm. The um, Yeah, that, that's the problem. Yeah. Where, whereas, you know, someone... Who you know, like an actual Chinese person doing it, never right. never gets the, you know, it, it, you know, even now, I mean, the people who are making, you know, really high end Chinese food, but you know, perhaps not in, you know, a Western atmosphere and, right. and not in, in a, or an expensive atmosphere, um, they're, you know, and they perhaps don't speak English. They don't get any notoriety for that, you know, and it may be the best food ever, mm-hmm. and it's using incredible technique, and they've studied this forever, and yeah, but um, there's plenty of those examples, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, and it's all around us. Um, I guess I don't know why I just launched into this right away, but I guess it's been on my mind because um, have you heard about the some some converse, controversies around Andrew Zimmern's new restaurant in the Midwest? Um, Lucky, what is it called? Lucky <laughs> Cricket. That's it. Lucky Cricket. <laughs> Does he serve crickets? I know. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I was like, that's a little um, strange name, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. There's been talk about how and it, it, he, he may have come off a little tone. Uh, his tone was a little off when he was describing it. But if that's not I actually that, haven't, yeah. I, okay. I'm, not, I, I'm aware of the restaurant. I'm not aware of what he said about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's always room for more sensitivity around this. Yeah. 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 It definitely seems like it could be uh, a tricky area. And so anyway, I I mean, this book is really reflective, even though, you know, it's focused on cooking for one, but you really embrace a multitude of different cuisines, everything from duck ragu, chicken pho, you know, braised short ribs and so forth. Um, it's, it's really, I mean, would you put it in any culinary category like if anyone asked you like oh what kind of food is this um it yeah no you can't put it into a category the thing is when you're cooking for yourself i mean i like to eat multiculturally Mm -hmm. i like to eat a you know a variety of different things and i think it's healthy to eat you know, I, I mean, studies have been shown that if you're eating the same thing all the time, it's not as good for you as if you're eating diversely. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And it's just the way you cook. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly something. I mean, I don't. Is there anything that's. Yeah, there's some things that are pretty. Um, oh, God. I'm getting to that age where I can't remember <laughs> words. It's so. Annoying. There are classic. Time. There are some classic recipes in there that mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't say it's contemporary American because it's yeah. not. It's uh, yeah, it's it's like classics from many it's different. Yes, because yeah. I noticed you have like a classic um, French salad, for instance, with the cabbage and uh, what do you call it, lardon, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all kinds of classics across the board, right? Um, and some new stuff as well, you know, mm-hmm. or twisted things, if not. I love that you kind of have this really wry sense of humor throughout it. Um, Not only are they, you know, 
recipes that are written for one, you know, person, ideally, but you could always scale up, so it doesn't have to be. But, um, you know, you have uh, bitter greens with torn, you know, torn bitter greens and, uh, you know, like <laughs> kind of like self-deprecating um, descriptors throughout and the head notes as well. Um, why did you decide to write a book about one, just to, just to back up a little bit? You know, this actually came about because I was in a conversation with um, David Ransom, who has the Connected Table, mm-hmm. um, and um, he, for some reason, you know, I work with him every year on the Share um, Breast and Ovarian Cancer mm-hmm. um, uh, fundraiser, and um, yeah, for some reason we got on the subject of cookbook titles with my last name in it. Ah. Yeah, and it went on forever. You know, we had, like, low country cooking. We had low and slow, the braising. Highs and lows. Right. (laughs) Exactly. That's fun. (laughs) Low end. Yeah, whatever it was. Um, So, and one of them was solo, and one of them was alone. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to write that. That'd be hysterical. Like, it could be funny. It could be, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So. And then you share your breakup stories a little bit, or, like, sad Valentine's Day meals and so forth. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think that it's, I don't know, it's very relatable to anyone. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, You also sort of poke fun, you know, in the introduction, you write, you know, a lot of professional chefs say that they can't cook for fewer than 40 people, right? They're just so geared to cook on the line. But you write, those chefs who say they can't cook for fewer than 40 people, not me. I can do math. It is my Asian birthright. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) I almost majored in math, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, another thing I thought was interesting was that, you know, you learned um, to have a waste-free attitude in the kitchen, and that could be a little challenging when you're cooking for one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where does that stem from? You know, you mentioned your, your you know, your parents, um, they survived the Cultural Revolution, and they instilled in this, this sense of, um, you know, wasting not... And food is precious. Yeah, but I mean, it came from that. Mm-hmm. And it came from, um, you know, I, even like working in French kitchens. Mm-hmm. And I think French cuisine was born out of poverty. And um, yeah, there's just. It's an that, all cuisine, right? <laughs> yeah, all the great cuisines were mm-hmm. certainly. Um, and the, um, yeah, the. Um, yeah, it was just sort of pounded into you not to waste yeah. anything, you know? Um, in, in cooking school as well as, you know, the various places that I worked. Um, I, at, at Boulay, mm-hmm. the sous chef used to go through our garbage <laughs> to make sure we weren't, like, throwing away something that was useful. Wow. Wow. So, so something like a tops of, the, like, I don't know, carrot greens that looked good or something like that? or Well, like, no, it wasn't. No? It wasn't. Okay. It, we hadn't taken it that far yet. Okay. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah. But Perfectly I, good. Ingredients, yeah, yeah, exactly, or something that you could put into a stock, or mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. carrot, carrot peelings. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's so. that's pretty far. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I think that a lot of people have a hang up when it comes to cooking for one because they're afraid of buying too much stuff and then having it go to waste or spending too much on it. So I think this book really proves otherwise. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So many topics um, that are covered in it, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude and be right back chatting more with Anita Lowe. (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Wild Alaska Pollock is incredibly delicious, highly nutritious, and perpetually sustainable. Among the last frontier's many natural wonders, Wild Alaska Pollock just might be the state's best-kept secret. This cousin to cod has lean, snowy white meat, delicate texture, and a mild flavor that makes it extremely versatile and tasty. Only pollock caught in Alaskan waters by U.S. fishermen can be labeled Wild Alaska Pollock. Unlike other pollock products, Wild Alaska Pollock is filleted and frozen just once within hours of being caught to preserve freshness, flavor, and texture. And now, food service professionals can try Wild Alaska Pollock for free. Request your sample at wildakpollock.com and discover the fish of the future. That's wildakpollock.com. All right, we're back chatting more with Anita Lowe, the chef of uh, formerly Anissa Restaurant and also the the uh, author of the new cookbook, Solo, a modern cookbook for a party of one. Um, just to mention, this book has gotten a lot of accolades recently. It's been listed as like, you know, in the top cookbooks of the year, cookbooks of the fall. I've seen it everywhere. So congrats on that, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. It's really exciting. And I love the illustrations. Can we talk about that briefly? Um there, you know, usually when you walk into a cookbook store, all the books on the table will have these glossy covers filled with beautiful photography. But this one has a really fun, quirky, hand-drawn illustration. Yeah, I mean, I, that was um, my editor's idea to hire Julia Rothman. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her stuff. She's everywhere now. Um, yeah, but I think it sort of goes with... Uh, yeah, the tone of the book. So. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's I cheeky. Thought, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, brilliant on her part. Yeah, I think that the illustrations are amazing. And to anyone who says that you can't do like direction and like you know really show how to do something, I think the uh, spread about the dumpling step by step process that um, is illustrated is a really great example of how um, that can be done in a really um, really clever way. I love it. Yeah, Rothman is talented. Yeah. So why did you include dumplings in here? Because that's not something I would personally make for myself because it just takes a little, I don't know, a little too much work. I always would want to make some extra and then freeze it or something. Well, yeah, that, that, is, um, that is not for one. I mean, mm-hmm. the, that recipe is for m- many. Many. Um, but yeah, I just thought it'd be funny because I think there's, you know, there's times when you've got nothing to do and you just need to fill time and... Um, you might want to just luxuriate in that, in that yeah. process, and in that cooking process. And, True. Um, you know, you know, I always like to have dumplings in my freezer just because yes. it's something really quick and easy, and it's a you know, it's a balanced meal in a little pocket. It's got its vegetable, its starch, um, and and protein. Yeah, and and this actually this um, recipe you have seems pretty basic. It's pork and garlic chive dumplings. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. straightforward, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So not not like your um, your famous uh, foie gras dumplings at Anissa. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could make that, that but yeah. I, I don't think that's something. You know, that's that's a, more of a celebratory thing, like right? High end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's super clever though. Um, <sighs> I, I love that you write here. Um, 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I guess you know when you are cooking a large batch of dumplings, it's sort of investing in many meals for yourself later um, exactly, in the yeah. freezer. Um, but you write um, <laughs> the folding is a meditative exercise. For each dumpling, think of all the good things you want for yourself in the future. If you're not too bitter, think of all the qualities of a perfect meat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something very meditative about cooking, especially you know, folding and refolding something mm-hmm. and um, doing it nicely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something I would do. Now, do you make the dough yourself when you're doing this often or the, uh, no. the skins? Um, no, I would. Well, if I'm doing it, you know, for the home. Yeah. It's, uh, it's for, for home, it's, you're going you're gonna to buy it. I think you could, <laughs> you could. My mom was really good at like really like um, rolling that stuff out, but that that is a really huge project if you're gonna like roll it out yourself and you know you, I think that's that's sort of like a family thing. You need two mm-hmm. people to, at least to do that. Someone to roll it out, the next person to uh, exactly yeah. stuff it. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so good to know. I'm not cutting corners when I buy prepackaged dumpling oh, wrappers. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, and it's for you. I mean, no yeah. one's watching. Yeah. <laughs> True, but it is better when you roll them out. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love um, your take here on eggplant mapadofu and your little story about how your mom sent you a package of index cards of her simple go-to recipes when you went to college. Yes, yes, and uh, we had mapadofu on there. Um, um, yeah, I lost that. I lost that that thing of cards oh no unfortunately yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you remember this one at least yeah i mean she made made it with um you know tofu but tofu and ground pork uh i think we she used to make it with ground beef but i think you know we we grew up in like suburban detroit Mm -hmm. so you know it might have been hard to get certain ingredients yeah i can see that yeah Yeah. so your take on this is um was it hard to find tofu because you you changed it to eggplant (laughs) instead (laughs) Um, I think, um, I'm not quite sure why I did that. <laughs> I, I love eggplant. Yeah. <laughs> I just no, love eggplant. Yeah. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a veggie side then. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, just squares of eggplant instead of those tofu. Perfect. Um, I also, I'm a little bit obsessed with this sauce because I, I recently wrote a piece about, um, Lao Gan Ma's spicy chili crisp. Oh, was that your piece? Yeah. Someone sent <laughs> me that. Store, like, yeah, 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 that's hysterical. That's absolutely hysterical. Totally, yeah, we, I just totally read that. Yeah. Oh my God, awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, I didn't realize it wasn't a cult. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I should have called you for that because I had no idea. And of course, and then I get your book and you write about how you love it so much. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? We had it on, um, we did a seafood boil this, um, the person who sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Ooh, seafood boil. Yeah, we had this huge like seafood boil out in my house um, this summer, and we just put some laogan ma on it. I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing this all the time wow. now. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, so just, dipping the seafood or? Yeah, well, you just take, yeah. I mean, it's hard to dip because it's, like, so crunchy. But you just take a little bit. You you know, we, we, we <laughs> had, um, yeah, we had, we had sweet shrimp. We had a whole bunch of crabs that I had just caught and um, 
some other types of crab, and I don't remember almost what we had in there, but it was really, it was really fun. Wow, that sounds like a great use for. I mean, nobody has said seafood boil <laughs> yet to me when I'm yeah. talking about laogan ma. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So good, yeah. Yeah, and did you recently fall in love with this sauce, or was it always around? Because, I don't know, growing up in the Midwest, did you... No, no? Um, you know, I had gotten a... Um, my the, the woman who wrote my, my um, or who helped me write my first cookbook, uh, Charlotte Druckmann, gave me a jar of, of this chili crunch. Yeah. Which I just, I was obsessed with. And I gave a jar of it to my brother, and um, my sister-in-law was like, oh, you, have you had the Chinese version of this? I was like, oh. no. Um, just, oh, you have to get this. You have to get this. It's called La Gan Ma, and you have to get the one with the um, really unhappy woman on the, <laughs> on, <Yes>. on, <laughs> on the label. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went out and got it, and I was just, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I was like, because I had been making a sauce that kind of tasted like that. Um, and, you know, it was, it was complicated. It was like, um, I mean, it wasn't crunchy, but it was mm. it was like a complicated sauce to make. And I was like, wow, I can just buy it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Um, well, you know, I love that you don't shy away from those, like, you know, kitchen helpers and just, like, all, all the things that you love throughout this book. And um, I just have to ask, like, since, you know, you've trained... At Escoffier, you've worked at uh, Boule, and um, you've worked in a lot of... You've cooked for the Obamas and yes. uh, Sh- President Xi Jinping at the White House. Yes. It's amazing. Um, how has your... Uh, throughout your career, your food philosophies or kitchen tendencies evolved in throughout your career? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't think I know the answer to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it, my I think my cooking got fancier at one point. Yeah, and then it and then it yeah, you know, and then recently um, it's got more rustic again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I think it's interesting. This book is all about like you know, obviously it's it's um, your in a you know accomplished chef but this is all about cooking at home things that you just want to throw together for a simple meal um so it, it's it's fun to see that side of your of your creativity in a book yeah i mean i you know i'm i'm cooking at home now mm-hmm. so i don't have the restaurant and uh in in my new york city apartment at tiny it's not you know particularly mm. that well equipped it's just you want to make things that are quick and easy yeah yeah. So now that it's about holidays, what would you say to anyone who, I don't know, I don't know if anyone spends the holidays really by themselves, but maybe has a really small crowd, doesn't, you know, want to go too crazy um, with cooking. Any suggestions maybe from your book for something really simple, yeah. small gathering? Um, yeah, there's a squab recipe in there that I think is uh, appropriate for this time of year. It's... Um, you know, um, it's it's got carrots, mm-hmm. and squab is expensive, so it's a little bit more cel- uh, celebratory. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's easy. It's it's basically just a um, some roasted carrots and some broiled squab. I think perfect. Um, 
That sounds fun. Yeah, and then there's yeah. also there's also desserts in there. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. so it sounds like the fun is like getting a, a unique protein maybe and then just cooking it simply. It's a good good formula. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, you know, get something that you wouldn't normally buy, you know, mm-hmm. and um yeah, so it's just a, a little bit more fun and mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah, cool. All right. Well, that's about um, all the time. But I do have to ask, now that you've written your second cookbook, um, you know, you're on to new projects. What is the next? uh, Are you working on any other cookbook down the pipeline? Or do you have any plans for any big projects coming up? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm a, a little bit scared to write this next one just because this one has done yeah. so well. <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, I will definitely write another cookbook. I've been doing some work with the Tour de Forks, um, uh-huh. hosting some culinary travel, and I'm hoping to uh, get some, some some sort of long-term consulting um, mm-hmm. gig with a you know an open a restaurant. We'll see, but cool. I don't, I don't want to own one. So yeah. uh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for writing this book, which I have wish I'd had for so long. <laughs> now thank it's you. existent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone check out Solo um, just out from Knopf. And uh, you can also follow Anita at, sh- uh, at handle Anita Low NYC, Twitter on Instagram. And uh, thanks to everyone from Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Monday, December 3rd, is our annual gala, Winter in the Garden, and you are invited. Celebrate the season with Heritage Radio Network at the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. It's the one night of the year where you can show your support for HRN while sipping on champagne, hanging out with our hosts, and bidding on one-of-a-kind silent auction items. VIP hour goes from 6 to 7, featuring a tour of the Bonsai Room. At 7, all of our guests can sample bites from some of our favorite chefs. Head to heritageradionetwork.org gala for tickets. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.